0: You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thanks for tuning into the show. However it is that you found it, whether it was through iTunes or YouTube or Revelations Radio Network, the Revere Radio Network, the Black Belt Radio Network, whatever. I'm happy that you're here. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever, you can go to my website, nowheretorunradio.com. Hit the contact button. There you can write me an email. You can also post comments in the comment section of the website. And you can also write me in snail mail format. Speaking of snail mail format, thanks to Stephanie, who wrote the other day and sent me a really nice card. It was really cool, and I really was encouraged by it. My wife like put it in a file and uh it's really cool, so thanks a lot um and so anyway let's go go ahead and get started. I had some news stories all brought up here, but uh, I closed down my browser and so so I'll just tell you what they were uh one of them was talking about the currency situation in China and how they are being very public and open about their um, not liking our printing more money because, of course, that devalues a dollar. The problem with that, of course, is that we owe China a ton of money. And when we devalue our money, it makes us essentially owe them less valuable money. So they loaned us more valuable stuff than we're... Giving them back, so it's a uh, it it actually affects their economy quite a lot. it's a really bad business decision so uh that's what they were talking about a lot in the g twenty and that's what that article was about didn't really have a whole lot to say about that. It was kind of a slow news day well, in one sense, there's a lot of news stories I'm just like eh, same old stuff, everybody's covering the other one was that a lot of water shortage i was a it was a it was a article about water shortages in like ten cities. And it wasn't so much that they were shortages, but they had the potential to be shortages. It was a piece about the fragile nature of our water supply, I guess. And the reason that I wanted to mention that is to encourage you to have some sort of water supply, whatever that may be. Uh, if you have a Berkey filter, I think those are great because you can put like pond water or creek water in them. So as long as you have a like some source of other water you'll be okay for a month or whatever a natural disaster or something hit if you don't have something like that um still even if you had something like that like in my situation i have a berkey water filter but i don't really have uh, a creek or a body of water anywhere nearby so um, one thing that we're going to do is buy like a plastic trash can at walmart and fill it up with you know the hose or whatnot and just keep it on the porch that way uh, you know, you have at least some some reserve of water and you could put that, of course, in the Berkey or if you if you wanted, you could just drink it or put it through another filter of some sort. Just wanted to encourage you, I guess, about storing up just a little bit of water in case of a natural disaster. It's one of the first things to go in a natural disaster. There's also a possibility, I think, of in a pinch using your hot water heater. If you notice something like that happening, <laughs> excuse me, you might want to somehow tie off the hose or close off the valve on your hot water heater. That way you can sort of store what's left in there. I don't know if that's a possibility or not. I don't know a heck of a lot about hot water heaters, but it sounds like a possibility. So, moving on. one A couple things I wanted to talk about was one of them being the Frank and Chris Show. Somebody had asked about the archives there, and there is no longer any archives of the Frank and Chris Show online, but there can be, I think... Because of the way the iTunes works, somebody out there has the entire Frank and Chris Show archive on their computer. If that's you, I'd like to hear from you, especially if you know how to FTP. Because I'd like to get those things um, back online. Maybe even uh, I can put them on a torrent or something that would have a little bit more uh, sturdiness, I guess you could say. A lot of things that are on servers that are just on one server, I think that they have uh, really ability to disappear in a pinch a little too easily. So I'd like to get those out there and just have them archived somewhere out there. So if anybody has that, give me an email. You can do that at nowhere to run 1984 at gmail.com or go to my website, nowhere to run radio.com. One other thing was mailers earlier. I think it was two weeks ago had sent out, maybe about 12 or so DVDs. They were the homosexual DVD track that I made for dvdtrack.com to minister to homosexuals. And uh, the the reason that I sent them out, well, I was thinking about what could I send out. I wanted to send out something in the DVD track to see how it would work to start a mailing campaign of some sort. And there's a few things that I learned about it. One is that you can mail out a DVD or CD or whatever for the price of one stamp. And I didn't know this at first. I was using some packaging that was costing way more than a stamp. But if you get an envelope, just a regular envelope that can actually be pretty big, it it doesn't have to be, you know, obviously you can't fit a DVD in a a regular-sized envelope, but one that can fit a DVD in it. Uh, will only cost you the price of a stamp to send it anywhere. Uh, I don't know, actually, anywhere anywhere in my local area. But I had a few of them that were going to different states and stuff. So maybe anywhere in the country. But in any case, one stamp will really open up the doors as far as a, a ministry like that. I, I, of course, think that the a great way to get the gospel to people is through DVDs. I think that when they get them home, it's just them and the truth, and they're a lot more likely to listen intently than they would be, of course, on the street or something like that, because there's a lot of negative connotations already associated with that kind of stuff. So there is an opportunity there. I like the presentation of the gospel that uh, we made at dvdtrack.com, but there are many different presentations of the gospel out there. If there's another burden that you have on your heart for a different kind of people group or whatever, or perhaps just some particular issue maybe it's vaccines or fluoride or whatever it is that you're concerned about i think the dvd mailing is a great way to do it especially with with prices like that you can mail whatever dvd to your sheriff or all the members of the city council or you know whatever i i do like to think locally is a good a good thing to do unless your burden has to do with something on a national level, maybe mailing it to all the scientists that do certain things or maybe all the, you know what I'm saying, just the, the opportunities are just so amazing. And you're thinking, well, I can't put together a DVD of the stuff that I am into or want to share with people. And I would say that you can. There's a really great program for free out there called DVD Flick. DVD Flick. Free program. It's really, really easy to use, and there's some tutorials online on how to use it. But basically, you can find, let's say, let's say you like three different YouTube clips, and you want to put all three of those YouTube clips onto a DVD. And you could put a a lot of them, but let's just say three. You would download them. And the way you download clips from YouTube is you take the URL www.youtube.com slash watch equals whatever. You, you copy that and paste it in a website called keepvid.com or perhaps clipnabber.com and it will give you a link to download. Download that link and then take your three clips that you download and just drag and drop them into DVD flick. Hit the few little, you know, questions that it asks you there and uh, it will encode it and out pops a DVD. Now, that's great for making your master copy of a DVD. It's a little more complicated if you then want to make lots of different copies of that same DVD. DVD Flick really isn't that great for that particular process, but there are other programs that are. And I explain that on the website, dvdtrack.com. So it's something that's not hard to do. I encourage you to do it. The one that I was doing there with the homosexual uh, DVD track the other day, I was thinking, well, that's this would be one that I really think I'd like to get out to more people, but then I was like, H- who am I going to send it to? I mean, in my local area, I mean, I don't really know who to send it to. But then I was looking around on like local um, local sites and stuff, and I saw that there was like this huge community of churches locally that um, you know fully embrace and and believe to be you know right and everything homosexuality. And so I thought they would be, and there were also other groups and things and associations that I thought would be interested in this woman's testimony because I think it's so powerful. So I just, I just got their addresses and and sent them out. And I bet in your area too, there's lots of different things. I mean, whether it was the, um, the Mormon DVD at one point, I mailed those to, um, to all M- Mormon temples all around the uh, country and I was doing it way, in a way more expensive way then. I think it was costing me $1. fifty or something to, to mail them when now, I mean, 44 cents and the price of a stamp is just you can't beat it. I mean, DVDs are so cheap and, uh, you know, anyway, you can, you can read more about that, which DVDs to use and those kinds of things at my website, dvdtrack.com. Two other real quick show notes. One, if you have friends, family, or know somebody that's just a really awesome missionary and is doing really cool things, if you could send me an email with some information about them or whatever, I'd really like to to help them get more support or or highlight them in some way. So if you know somebody, friends, family that's out doing some missionary work that's just or just somebody that's really great, send me an email. I'd like to hear about them. Secondly, I want to encourage people that have uh, their ministries, the YouTube. Pages and Facebook accounts and things like that to really start to use those in in some way. I, I sometimes think about my YouTube account. I think, well, I've got so many subscribers, and you know, get all big headed until I see that everybody has uh, their own ministries. That we're all like this big team working in, in together, doing essentially one thing handling the people that the lord sends to us. It doesn't matter if somebody has 15 subscribers, they've got their two or three people that are engaged in conversations with them that are engaged in in private messages back and forth asking questions about uh the lord. If you're on YouTube and you you're posting stuff about the lord and, and stuff about, you know, Christianity, you're going to, you know, find people antagonists and you're going to find people like that. I encourage everybody to to really embrace that and to ask to get the love for the people instead of, instead of arguing with people, you're never going to win a soul by, by winning an argument and nobody responds to an argument in a good way. The only way is to respond in love with people and to genuinely care about their, um, their souls and to understand their questions and to try to find the best possible answers to their questions so that is a really big ministry. But the second thing I wanted to mention is Facebook. Everybody nowadays has a Facebook page. But I think that the opportunity there is just amazing because the way that Facebook works, of course, is you've got your friends and family and acquaintances, some that you never talk to, some that, that keep up with you now because they look and see what you post on there. And you might say, well, I don't post that much, you know, here and there, pictures here and there. But what if you decided to take, you know th- make sure you found 3 or so videos a week that just really impacted you just brought tears to your eyes that were really helpful there's no there's no limit to the amount of that stuff on YouTube there's little sermon bites that you know sermon jams or you know whatever it may be just some interesting video or whatever that has to do with um you know the lord if you could if you could just make a commitment to putting that stuff on your wall then you're going to really be Changing lives of your friends and family—it's something that that a lot of people just sort of idly surf the Facebook thing, like just waiting for something to happen. Well, you know, give them something you know of of worth to to look at on there. There's so much stuff that's of no worth. So maybe you can be a light in that. And if it's a little bit weird, you know, you don't want—I oh, don't want certain so and so to see it or whatever. Just just get rid of that. Just start doing something with it because it's such a great opportunity. It's just such a great opportunity and it might not be there forever. So anyway, I just wanted to encourage people about YouTube and Facebook and we'll get on to the actual show now. So the remainder of the show is going to be about the project about David Icke and talking about some of the issues that I've been finding. Just give an update there. This has become by far the biggest project I've ever done. I mean, the information keeps piling up. I've got 50 pages of typed notes so far and some of that is just cataloging uh, the, the videos, cataloging the books so I know where to reference it but there's just so much stuff it is such a daunting task really to consider putting all this in a cohesive outline that's going to make sense and make an impact one thing though is that there's a lot of material to draw from this guy is a piece of work and his older material you wouldn't believe the views that david ike has held in the past it's just unbelievable but we'll talk about that in just a minute it's been a crazy week it's been something i was out a whole day laying in bed sick there and that got me behind i spent seven hours straight answering emails yesterday so it it's been hard to find um enough time to do these shows but Uh, The research on this has been, I've been trying to make it a priority as much as possible. So I have been working diligently at it and still just feel like I am, I don't know, I guess I feel like I'm getting closer to being done with the research portion of it. But anyway, so let's talk a little bit about some of the things that I've been finding out. First of all, his his views on Jesus, of course, have changed over time, and we discussed that in the past, but it's amazing how much they've changed. We discussed last time his book, the tr- book truth vibrations. Now I said that there was another book that he says that he doesn't, uh, uh, that he hates and is not available anywhere. And it's called, um, love changes everything. And so I got love changes everything and it is crazy. I mean, he says that the material for this book, is chant was totally channeled it says he communicated almost daily with the rekorsky which he calls the lord of civilization also jesus he talked to quite a lot michael the archangel and the spirit of the earth and more so there is a lot of channeling going on in this book he actually talks a little about the process of channeling and why it's just such a wonderful idea see if i can find that real quick um he says, let's see, here's a quote. Since, pu- since the publication of The Truth Vibrations, I have learned so much more, and I have communicated almost daily with Rikorsky and the one known as the Lord of All Civilization, who is directly responsible for the changes the Earth will undergo. I also communicate often with the one we know as Jesus, the Spirit of the Earth, and many others. He says later, Communicating with such beings on, on other levels of creation is the most natural thing in the world. He says, this is called channeling. The thought forms are decoded by an area of the brain close to our other listening devices, the ears. The decoding can manifest in many ways, not only through the spoken word. The thought forms can also be turned into hidden uh, written words. This is known as automatic writing. Your hand writes on paper, sometimes with incredible speed. But the words and the information are not yours and could not possibly be yours because you often know nothing about the subject taking shape in front of you it is also possible to hear the thought forms in a soft gentle voice inside of your head i call this method getting it direct on a more limited level it is also possible to communicate with dowsing this is when the pendulum swings one way for yes and another for no he says uh I have been able to speak at great length since early 1990 with those who are helping the planet and humanity through this crucial period of a, in their evolution. They've asked me to put together this book and all that I have learned so far. So they told him to write this book and basically tell this history of the world. And it is a crazy history of the world. You, you, the interesting thing about this, as crazy as this is, and I think this is an important point, and because he kind of backtracks on a little of this and has a little loopholes as we as we go further into the other books and stuff, but one thing that's interesting is that it never really changes from this core values. He, he never the stuff that these uh, demons are telling him. He he believes to this day, and I can demonstrate that with stuff that he says, uh, like in in recent you know presentations and stuff like that. But he has changed. Sort of he doesn 't talk about the details about why he believes it. A good example actually is in this book he talks about the moon. Um, many of you will know his recent book. he claims that the moon is uh an artificial thing. He said this came to him, and like he was told the moon isn 't real, the moon isn 't real, and then he he does some google search, figures out the moon isn 't real and then and then he goes on and talks about how really, if you analyze what he 's saying he 's saying that the moon was put here by. Uh, an alien race and when it when the moon came into our orbit it messed everything up and it made us from these like wonderful light beings that could talk with the animals and levitate and all this stuff to the the fallen creation that we are now with you know evil and stuff like that really the moon entering this solar system or into our our system is is kind of the fall of man if you will and it's interesting that the anybody that proposes a new religious philosophy, with, which Ike really is doing. I mean, he, he is in this book, he's giving the genesis of the world. He's writing the book of Genesis, which puts him in the pedestal as many gurus that do this do. They all of a sudden have to become uh, the new source for all religious truth. And it's interesting that on a psychological level, it's a fall of man is needed. And any of you that know much about Michael Tessarian's work, if I can call it work, uh, he does the exact same thing. His version of the fall of man, if you're if you're familiar with this, is is the genetic manipulation that the aliens uh, did to man way back in uh, the day, and it was that trauma that that made us fall for, and created the ego and made us all you know less than we once were. It was, it's necessary to have that, and even in this you know, obviously occult theology. And occult theology, this definitely is. Um, uh, He goes into Lemuria and Atlantis here. Now, he definitely believes that the earth is Gaia. He talks about Gaia quite a lot in here. The earth spirit is just so loving and wonderful. I could probably find a lot of different, um, a lot of different talk on this. But I'm going to try to skip ahead to some more relevant issues. So he talks about, If you know Lemuria and Atlantis, obviously we know what Atlantis is. It's supposed to be this civilization a long, long time ago. But there's another version uh, called Lemuria or sometimes called Mu. And this springs a lot from Helena Blavatsky. Again, coming from a lady who, um, you know, channeled demons herself and they told her all about Lemuria. And this is pretty much the source for the Lemuria stuff. And it's actually the source for everything that David Icke really believes in this book. He talks about Lemuria as being you know this wonderful situ- situation. Everybody was really on high levels of vibration and they were just you know superhumans. I think he he describes them here as vi- they were white, beautiful white skin and blonde hair. Or he didn't say blonde hair, blue eyes, six foot five average height. You know that's the super race. I mean it's no wonder that Hitler's. Got his information and kept a copy of Madame Blavatsky's secret Doct- doctrine on his bedside, and the belief in Lemuria and Atlantis and and all this stuff is exactly the same as we could find out in uh, in Ike's book. But if if I were to analyze Ike's version of of uh, Lemuria and Atlantis, which are two separate civilizations, one was destroyed by the Earth Spirit because it was well. In his version, the Earth Spirit was about to change to a new vibration. So, a lot of people reincarnated into this particular thing because they wanted to go into a new vibration with the Earth, because it was a great opportunity. So, they reincarnated to live in Lemuria, and then they were going to reincarnate and go to the new level. And that new level, but but what happened was that the Earth Spirit, in both cases, in Atlantis and, and Lemuria, for different reasons, she destroys everyone on the earth. And every time he mentions this, he talks about how there's nothing wrong with that. The earth spirit did what was loving and necessary to do. The earth spirit would never do anything wrong. And so this was great. And, and, he, and he talks about the people that, the earth spirit told people that he was going to do it, but and the people that resisted it, that was proof that they weren't, you know, evolved. They didn't want to die, you know. That, they, that was proof. So if I was to analyze this, I would say that the reason why, at least in Ike's theology, that, Lemuria and Atlantis exist is to give an example for us about evolution of a planet and the necessary genocides that come with it and that how this genocide that he is telling us about and an evolution slash genocide is that's coming uh, is going to be is prefigured in in some sense in uh, Atlantis and Lemuria although a lot of stuff happened in between and I don't know how much of this stuff I'm gonna really use. Keep in mind, I'm just sort of musing. I'm just talking about my research here. I have no idea what this outline's even gonna look like. But um let me let me just move down the line here. So, so this great time of change is coming. The um there's three different sort of gods. He called it the Godhead, the guiding godhead, and the beyond. He he really pretty much just talks about the Godhead. But it's interesting that he does have a very very specific theology about it. And the solar logos, he actually believes that the sun is a a god and that the change, you can catch him. This is one interesting, like in this book, he talks about the the solar logos. It's a god. It's a personality. And uh, it's it's, uh, going to change us as part of our, it's going to send information to change the world. Now, he still believes this because he talks about this in one of the most recent you know, seven-hour presentation things he do, he does, live presentations. He talks about this and mentions how the sun is going to be the thing that does the changing of our DNA and enlightening us and stuff like that. And I just found finally him demonstrating, you know, with David Icke, he's so, so bad about him. He always uh, doesn't really say a lot of details about stuff. He sort of, nowadays, he sort of just talks around it and 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 doesn 't actually give any details, so nobody can actually say hey that 's wrong that that, that science doesn 't make any sense. He just sort of gives generalities, <clears throat> but I did find in his book he 's finally talking about the photon belt and how that 's the reason that we 're all going to be enlightened, you know because there has to be a good catalyst if we 're all going to change our DNA and turn into light beings and be able to communicate with animals, and all this stuff's going to happen. There needs to be some science catalyst idea. And he does finally put forth the very, very discredited notion of the photon belt, which is easily disproved, namely because we are moving away from Alcyon, not towards it as once was believed. Uh, Okay, so the N plus Alcyon doesn't contain a light nebula. It's it's a nebula which doesn't contain photons. It's gas and, and, and plasma, not photons. It's just crazy stuff. But anyway, let's get back on track here. So, Lucifer exists in this theology. Lucifer is an angel, and, but he calls him a diva. And his purpose was to keep the energy lines going on the earth. He was sitting here because, you got to keep in mind, if you read in early David Icke, everything has to do with the energy grid. The ley lines, everything. David Icke spent so much of his early life traveling from country to country believing that he was you know healing the energy lines of the earth so they would go to sites they were like a man on a mission They i you can obviously tell they think they're some sort of part of some you know renegade team to save the world and and they go to these energy sites and you know do little rituals and stuff like that and bless them and say you know let there be light and not darkness and they hear the heal the energy line and then it you know, they go to another place and whatever. And he actually talks about this in one of the interviews. He's like, "I am part of a group," and a great. it's a very early interview, one of the turquoise interviews. He's actually wearing the turquoise shirt, and he's like, um, "You know, we're we're doing this. There's many people that are doing the same thing." But uh, so so Lucifer is one of these angels that uh, that was originally created to heal the energy lines and you know constantly make the energy lines good. But he got prideful, he fell, uh, except he describes the fall a little bit differently. He falls to a lower vibration and kind of perpetuates this. And he does want to challenge God and the Godhead, rather. And he, um, what does he do? He comes up with the idea of the moon thing. So Lucifer reincarnates on the moon, then gets the moon to, to get into the solar system, which totally messes with the earth spirit. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus was totally going to re- reincarnate at that point and he was going to like do all kinds of stuff. He was he was scheduled to uh incarnate back then in Atlantis, but he couldn't because of Lucifer's whole moon thing. So, it screwed everybody up and Jesus had to wait till, you know, 2000 years ago to incarnate and all this stuff. Anyway, I'm getting way off track. I hope this isn't terribly boring for anybody. So, let's see here. Okay, Michael the Archangel's really giving him a lot of this low down stuff with uh Lucifer uh okay, so King Arthur f- did finally thwart Lucifer, thankfully because King Arthur was a reincarnation of maybe uh, I can't maybe it's Rekorski, the guy that talks to him constantly, maybe he thwarted Lucifer, but anyway, King Arthur and Merlin and that whole thing that they were here to heal the earth and their and the energy lines too. And King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table, they were actually, he was a reincarnated Atlantean that had moved to uh, England. And what he and his Knights of the Round Table did was they went around, he gathered them up, and they went around the world then healing the energy grid by, you know, doing the the same sort of thing that David's doing. So David's actually reincarnation of King Arthur in a lot of ways. His Son of God thing, actually, he talks about that in some detail. Um... I am moving fast here because there's so much to get to. So much blasphemous stuff about his view of the Bible. He talks about, in this book, interestingly, uh, his view of Jesus is, is totally different than even the first book. So, now I mentioned in the first book, he is talking about how he had these visions of Jesus on the cross, and he found out that Jesus didn't actually die. He was drugged by the... The, the the thing there he didn't actually die but in this one jesus tells them that he did actually die a sword killed him uh he doesn't say anything about correcting the old story he just has a totally new version of it in an interview that he an early interview that david ike does he talks about how much he knows about jesus now and this is the information that he's referring to he, he, the guy asks him about jesus like man do i know so much more about jesus now and let me just read some of the some of the stuff in his version of Jesus. And I just think it's really interesting considering some of the stuff that I'll get to in, in the more recent books. He says, talking about John the Baptist, John had a marvelous understanding of cleansing energy systems and chakras and opening up beings spiritually by removing negativity and past life karma. Rakorsky said there were many more than 12. Jesus was guided Uh, to the people who would work with him. They are known as the Twelve Disciples. For some obscure reason, their families and friends have been excluded. Some of them had partners and children. They were not all bachelors. They were people with basic knowledge of the energies and community ways. They had a desire to know more. Um, They had obviously forgotten that they were Atlanteans who had changed... The world 10,000 years before. In the Bible, they are portrayed as rather negative, doubting beings. It is easy to forget that this book was rewritten by certain people who wished to portray Jesus as the only one who knew anything. Those who rewrote the Bible believed that this would stop mere mortals asking questions, and it seems they were right. They were also all vegetarians. Uh, In a communication for this book, the being of Jesus, of course, this is definitely not jesus it says this is jesus talking here apparently uh it says i hoped that the earth would change that we could remove negativity with minimal land shifts volcanoes and then continue the energy work many people seemed willing to change i had moments of frustration disappointment anger and sorrow but i also had moments of love and happiness and he continues here i'm not gonna read the rest of that then we're told a lot of stuff about Jesus, and it's basically like, no, no, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Oh, that's crazy. And so let's read a few of them. Jesus' miracles were produced by his unique energy system, uh, miracles in quotation mark, marks, which had been fully activated by the total immersion in the divine waters of John. Another section. The Bible tells of how Jesus forgave people their sins before any physical healing. This was Jesus helping them cliz- cleanse their own chakras and energy lines ...of all karmic and past life negativity and the negative effects of life. The word sin was never used by Jesus and plays no part in the truth. Uh, that sounds like a demon, doesn't it? Uh, ne- next paragraph. The stories of casting out demons and devils are exaggerated. They This definitely sounds like a demon. The stories of casting out demons and devils are exaggerated. Th- these were people with very negative karmic links, which they needed to remove if they wished to progress up the subplanes and frequencies... And then Jesus, quote unquote, explained the reality of these works. He says, as a general rule, I would suggest that the beings of this planet should not take these events literally. <laughs> oh, so finally, Jesus, Jesus' commentary on the Bible: don't take it literally. <clears throat> Next, uh, the Sermon on the Mount was when many of my friends came to hear me channel the Godhead. He says another place we did not manage to feed five thousand with a few loaves of bread, but all the food was available and shared equally. There was and there was food left over. Turning water into wine is another as another myth that should not be interpreted literally. In the same, it is the same with bringing people back from the dead. It is, if a being has left the physical, he or she has gone. The spirit has returned to the light levels. I do not have the right to make it come back simply because the family is upset. Okay, and uh, finally here, the Bible says that he could not answer their questions. This is clearly not the case, but remember all references to reincarnation and karma have been removed. Therefore, in those passages, it was also necessary to remove everything else that related to Atlantis, the energy system and channeling. And he's got this ridiculous sort of, thing that, that the Bible used to say all this stuff about reincarnation but it was all removed um, and it was removed by uh, gosh, who is it right now? I had a chance to look into this. But basically, his his main thing obviously it would never work because you would have to change every ancient manuscript in the history of the world but he just calls them Bibles. There was only like a thousand Bibles in the world at that time so it wasn't that hard to change. Is essentially his reasoning. Which, if you know anything about texts and how they were used and dispersed in the ancient world, certainly before the Catholic Church ever existed, uh, it's just the most ridiculous claim in the world. But anyway, um, and then of course his view of Calvary is ridiculous. I don't even really go into that because it's so blasphemous. But basically, uh, here's how the death of Jesus goes in his book. Uh, when the channeling had finished, one of the followers asked if Jesus could be taken down, and this request is uh, and this request was granted. He was still alive at this point, but the swift movement of a sword removed him from the physical level. Only Jesus knew for certain he would die. Uh, and that without this channeling, the earth would not be here today. So when the church talks of Jesus dying to save us, all this is basically correct. Um, Jesus told us of those six hours on the cro- cross and he blah, blah, blah. He, he's talking to David I here. I was so concerned, David, to determine to so determined to ensure that the truth could not disappear because one man was nailed to some wood, and I knew the effect it would have on Lucifer Satan if the energies were powerful enough. So, anyway, they lifted the earth several subplanes higher, and uh, you know, Jesus, uh, he says, was here to take the earth back to the Atlantis frequency. So that's his view on Jesus in this in this book, a little bit different from the previous book and obviously a little different as we get going let me just go through my notes really quick to see if there is any other thing i want to mention about this particular book oh yeah there there's something here that i found to be really interesting not just here but in other places and in some audio and video recordings of him too if you know anything about his testimony he says that it was that time in the hotel room when he felt the presence so strongly that he eventually just said, okay, I can't take it anymore. You're going to have to contact me because I can't take it anymore. When he says that is when it all started, according to his testimony. And what I interpret that is he just gave uh, his free will over to um, a demon. It's like, yes, please contact me, which is the same thing somebody does when they sit down with a Ouija board. I mean, nothing special about a Ouija board, as I've said 100 million times. It's just that you just gave your will over. All they needed was your free will. All this stuff, tarot cards, blah, 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 is just tricking you to give you the one thing they need, which is your will. And so he says here about this, um, I am not special, just very, very privileged. Uh, Every single life form can be a part of this transformation if they say openly, I wish to be guided and work for the light. And he, in this early interview, goes on and on about about this and how all they have to do is just say yes i want to be contacted by you know whatever i can't remember how he puts it in that one not necessarily this but yet he mentions it over and over you just have to say i want to be contacted i want to be contacted and so it's it's this open plea for people to uh to give their wills over and uh and do what he did which was a terrible idea by the way and he talks about this channeling a little later in this particular book. I didn't mean to spend so much time in this book that they they basically say the same thing, the demons. It says, always ask for protection and for guidance. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open to you. Never switch off the guiding light that will uh, cradle you through times of trouble and turmoil. Inspire uh, Inspire you as you achieve and grow. You, the light being or diva on the physical, must take the first move. You need to exercise your free will for your guidance. Your higher self will not make you act. This is against the universal law. (laughs) So you have to make contact with the divas if you want, uh, what do they want? If you want protection and guidance and blah, blah, blah. But he gets really serious about this and it becomes pretty obvious in the later channelings and some of the other beings that talk to him on his ayahuasca trips and, and other things. So, now, he ends this book a lot like he ends all the other ones, which is Evolve or Die. And, man, he really, I mean, you can look at the last pages, last few pages of any David Icke book recently, and it will basically say the same thing, Evolve or Die. And that's really the the heart of the New Age movement. But this one ends, interestingly, too, in that he talks about return of Jesus. And this is obviously theosophy that he's talked about. Everything he's talked about, really, at this book is, is theosophy and, and really Nazism. But... Uh, as as taught, you know, by theosophy, it says, "You will not need your institutions, leaders, or hierarchical systems of life without responsibility. Walk away from the old dying methods that have never brought the satisfaction of wisdom and learning from self." So, I mean, isn't it obvious? He's it's obvious to it's talking about the the churches. There, there is no man or woman, no single being on earth that has that has the answer and the whole truth, the way, the light, and the way of the light and peace. Each is relearning. Each is on a road to this end. When the time comes for the one you await to return, then you will be ready. Then you will have the ability to act as he does, love as he loves, and always will. He will be returning to a new age of greater understanding. I'm going to try to find some of the quotes here that he says. It's really ridiculous that he talks about Jesus has earned the right to uh, come to a great uh, place that's already evolved. Gosh, I can't find it right now. But it, it, it's interesting because, of course, if you know anything about theosophy, that's their main thing. I mean, they certainly believe in the same ascended masters he does, Rikorsky, etc. But they also firmly believe in the return of the Christ consciousness, the Maitreya, the, um, you know, they, they believe that there is a coming world teacher. Uh, so, obviously, at this point, he does too. Now, that, of course, causes a big conflict because he now openly calls theosophy, um, you know, he calls it a a setup. It was something the Tavistock Institute or whatever. They set it up, and the names of all these beings were, like, created, and they were all this stuff. But here's the weird thing, that all this stuff, David Icke can be summed up in, in, in two different things. What happened, everything that he's believing right now pre-Brian Desbro and post Desbro. Brian Desbro. Brian is a good guy to talk about right now. He is the guy that the the book The Biggest Secret is dedicated to Brian Desbro and Ian Frazier. Ian Frazier later later goes on to post uh quite frequent um uh, exposes on David Icke, but Ian, Ian Frazier is also pretty messed up himself. Like, he's he's talking about it like, I was dousing this book to see if it was correct, and it was saying it wasn't correct, but he doesn't, so he's obviously pretty pretty whacked out himself, but um, he does have some good information about, and you can get a lot of information he talks about, like when he met Linda Icke, she's saying he's not what he appears to be. And he's got all this personal information that really doesn't play a lot on what I'm trying to do, but... And a lot of the other information that Ivan says, I don't, I can't really use that much. But Brian Desbro, on the other hand, is mentioned pretty briefly by uh, Ivan in in this sense. He's, he 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 gives sort of the backstory about how Brian Desbro introduced Arizona Wilder to David Ike. And here is the situation: if you go down to the biggest secret and you find the, the just the places that he quotes Brian Desbro in the things that he uh, believes now. Much of the book, uh, the conspiracy stuff in The Biggest biggest Secret is straight out of the mouth of Brian Desbro. It changes, obviously changes David Icke's view to exactly what Desbro thinks. And Desbro is really whacked out. Um, He has this view, you know, that Mars was, you know, attacked by uh, the reptilians and they were chasing them to the moon and, and all this sort of weird sort of, Thing going on there. That's all Brian Desbro, including all the I mean you wouldn't believe it, the Princess Diana stuff, we could go on and on and on so much of the main themes of what David Icke believes is all Brian Desbro. So much of it. If you have a PDF of The Biggest Secret, just just do a Desbro search and find all the things that this so-called scientist from Southern California uh sends to him. And you're going to be surprised like, "Oh, so there's like nothing original in this book. It's all Brian Desborough. So, this is Brian Desbro, uh, a guy that has a lot of wacky conspiracy views. Now, now the conspiracy view about the history of the world, you know, all the the reptilian and, and uh, going from Mars thing and all this stuff, that before, David Icke believed exclusively Zachariah Sitchin. He just took Zachariah Sitchin and plugged it right into everything that he was believing. He did a lot of, you know, talking about Zachariah Sitchin stuff. Nowadays, David Icke says stuff like, you know, I still you know believe Zachary Sitchin, but you know there's some things that I think about his stuff that aren't quite accurate, and it kind of gives you the impression that he's validating. Hey, you know, maybe he's checked out Sitchin is wrong or something like that, and seeing that there's no possible way that Sitchin was anything but a disinformer. Um, but he doesn't. He's not talking about that stuff. He still believes Sitchin plus Brian Desborough. They have to collide because they both sort of believe a different thing, but. But Ike's cosmology and, and view of how the universe sort of came to be in the alien situation is an exact mixture of Brian Desborough and Zachariah Sitchin. Interestingly, of course, is the interview with Arizona Wilder that I've talked a lot about where uh she um you know says that Zachariah Sitchin and Lawrence Gardner are disinformation disinfo- agents. She, of course, is an unhealed multiple. If anything, she's an unhealed multiple. I mean, she's being played. She's she's the victim no matter which way you look at this, Arizona Wilder. Uh, And uh, I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But I just want to recall that she calls Sitchin and Gardner a disinformation agent. Now Ike runs with the Gardner as a is a disinformation agent. He has articles online of him writing to you know a response to Nexus magazine who of course promotes Lawrence Gardner and him boldly saying, You're you are a reptilian disinformation agent, you know, that I said was true. But the interesting thing about that is even in a really recent recording of Ike, he's using information that comes from Lawrence Gardner about Jesus uh, saying that Mesa was a name for an oil made of a crocodile. And this, that's where the the word Messiah came from. And, and, and it doesn't, there's no possibility of that being true. I mean, there's nowhere to get that information except for Lawrence Gardner, who wrote that in his book. And so he just totally whole cloth accepts, you know, this ridiculous notion about crocodile oil from Lawrence Gardner. But Yet he calls him a disinformation agent. There's no similar thing I can find of him bad mouthing Sitchin like that because, as I mentioned, he still holds Sitchin's basic views and he hasn't come up with a better view of that yet. So there's that. Now Brian Desbro also, uh, you know, links on his site. Now this is—I'll get into the mysterious man of Brian Desbro in a minute, but let me just say he is a very—he gave David Ike also his view that he had to uh, the biggest secret about the zeitgeist version of jesus so the as far as i can tell it was the book before uh you can start to see the it kind of being like half and a half he still believes jesus is real but maybe he's just you know in in, in these other books like um um the robots rebellion and then let's see if we can find here uh the balance yeah he says here in robots rebellion balance and called them the yin and the yang, Buddha, Confucius, Lao, Tsi, and Jesus. The list goes on. All these and others like them are aspects of consciousness who came into incarnation to bring to this frequency simple messages from higher frequencies. So he believes that Jesus and Buddha is real are real people that incarnated. But he also starts to sort of get off that. He's talking about some other stuff that are not quite right. And then in and then, and the truth shall set you free... He starts to, we hear here, for the Christian version of Jesus, see also Bel, Dionysus, Mithra, Osiris, Katsikadal, Krishna, and so on, the way the spiritual knowledge from which... Uh, so he goes into this um, this in, uh, in this book, in The Truth Should Set You Free. So he's kind of, he's kind of shifted from there. Um, one thing I'll quickly mention from The Truth Should Set You Free is his view of the Great White Brotherhood. Now this is interesting, of course, because the Rekorsky guy that he channeled the first book from and the second book and like is obviously his main guy it says in the interviews that he talks to him every day so this is like his buddy but the interesting thing is is that Rikorsky is totally tied to alice bailey's um great white brotherhood uh, the ascended masters Rikorsky is definitely one that she made up And this is what he says now in The Truth to Set You Free. The belief in the masters of the Great White Brotherhood of the disincarnate entities promoted by people like theosophical, psychic, and post Blavatsky period, Alice Bailey, uh, is a theme that remains well entrenched in parts of what is known today as the New Age movement. Alice Bailey claims to channel an entity she calls a Tibetan, and she also channeled Jesus, by the way. Uh, And she produced a number of books, including The Hierarchy of the Masters, The Seven Rays. By the way, The Seven Rays, he talks about in this book, uh, and Love Changes Everything. He obviously believes in The Seven Rays in this book, Love Changes Everything. A new group of world servers and a new world religion. She says that her Tibetan masters had told her the Second World War was necessary to defend the plan of God. That sounds ridiculous to me, but there are many in the New Age field who believe that everything is meant to be and is the will of God, the super elite, the black magicians. Even a global holocaust, it seems like a great excuse to do nothing to do nothing and a cop out of mega proportions. May I remind you that he ends this book and every other book with, yes, a global Holocaust is coming. There's nothing we can do about it, evolve or die. I mean, and the only thing that you can do about it essentially is, is to, to get away from Christianity. I mean, it's in so many words. So that's the one thing that we can do. Everything else is going to happen without our consent. Um, Continuing, my own view is that the masters, the Great White Brotherhood, and this whole concept is something to be very wary of. Whenever I hear the term master, I cringe. Two organizations linked to Alice Bailey's work, the Lucius Trust and the World Goodwill Organization, are both staunch promoters of the United Nations, almost UN groupies. Such is their devotion. I will discuss these in, these further in a later chapter the more I go into this It is interesting to see how the New Age has inherited truths over the decades in the same way that the conventional religion has done over the centuries. As the followers of Christianity have inherited the manipulated version of Jesus, so the New Agers have inherited the masters. There is too little checking of origins, too much acceptance of inherited beliefs, I think. If the New Age isn't careful, it will be Christianity revisited. It is already becoming so. I believe this concept of masters can be a means through which those who have quite rightly, in my view, rejected the status quo of religion and science still have their minds controlled by the prison wardens of the fourth dimension. He is saying here that he was deceived by demons in the fourth dimension in the previous books. Whether he knows it or not, that's what he's saying. The problem is that if that's what he's saying then how come he still believes everything they told him? He can say all he wants. Oh, yeah, Love Changes Everything. I don't know. I hated that book. I, I really was in a bad place in my life. My head was just you know recently blown after the Peru experience. Don't want to look at that book. And he can say here and talk about the masters all he wants, but the fact is that he still believes everything they told him. And he still believes in this coming genocide. And no matter, he's his talking away around it doesn't change the fact that he still That's the only main thing he preaches. But anyway, I'm going to continue with his view of Jesus here. Of course, uh, we see in that last part that um, as the followers of Christianity had inherited the manipulated version of Jesus. So he still believes that there is a version of Jesus that isn't manipulated at this point, even though earlier in this book he's talking about the Jesus and Mithra and Osiris and Kitzikotl and things like that. So he hasn't quite fully developed what he's going to do with Jesus yet. Until the biggest secret comes out, and Brian Desbro comes out, at which case he is lockstep with Brian Desbro, and he he and when he first came out with the biggest secret, secret. A little side note: he had one of those gods in there named Varishna, and I've talked about this for a while because it was one of the things that originally uh, uh, you know got me into the New Age movement. Is this god Varishna, and Varishna, according to David Icke in his book was just like Jesus, except he lived 1,800 years before Jesus. And man, Varishna died on a cross and had 12 disciples, and the longest list you could ever imagine. And Varishna did it all before Jesus, a lot longer before Jesus. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. But what I found later is that he took that particular version out of The b- Biggest Secret in later editions, uh, or that, that particular quote about Varishna. It was a stupid quote from uh, from the book... Oh, gosh, what's the name of that? 16 Crucified Saviors, which is so discredited. I mean, it, it's not even funny. They didn't reference anything. Even David Icke knew that that was bunk. He t- he takes that reference out, but nevertheless, he keeps all this other stuff from that book and a lot of others in there, including Acharya S. Acharya S. is linked by Brian Desborough. So, essentially, he incorporates everything that Brian Desborough incorporates, So let's get into Brian Desborough first of all, or or whatever of all. He is a guy who just writes articles and has been since about 90 or whatever, in the 80s. He started, I don't know when, early in the Internet, he started writing these articles. They're conspiracy articles. They are very detailed, and that's all he does. He actually has a few books online. That you can get at Amazon.com that are just collections of these articles that have been posted on the internet. His website looks like it was made in nineteen, you know, ninety-two or something like that. It's not a real lot of information in there. We actually do find on there that he gets all his information from spirits too, which is you know, hey, great. Like uh, so anyway, so he, all his information comes from different spirits according to this website. But the part about him that's interesting is this: some of the articles that he writes are pretty obvious that he knows way, way too much about mind control, uh, how to program people, how multiplicity works. And he knows this very early on. Uh, and what's interesting is, now, he his story about Arizona Wilder is this, that she, he introduced her to David Icke, after she confirmed what he already believed about this ridiculous story about how the reptilians came to Mars and then they chased them to Mars and they chased the Aryans from Mars to the moon and then to the Earth. He's got this, it's a lot more detailed than that, but that's just what I keep putting in that so we can go on and see what I'm saying. Um So... He believes that his his story is that Arizona Wilder, this multiple, comes along, and he's such you know a master decoder of multiples that he um, gets this information, and she confirms what he already knew, and what obviously he'd already told David Ike. So David Ike's getting all, all this information, and right before the book comes out, Arizona Wilder's testimony gets added. This is what Ian Fraser, the other guy, given the dedication of uh, of the book there the biggest secret he was really mad about because he had done all the you know proof reading of this stuff and everything looked good and there wasn't any reptilian stuff there it was all pretty normal-ish conspiracy stuff and then which he later said was bill cooper's conspiracy stuff before before that brian desborough point uh at least a lot of it anyway um the And then all of a sudden, the Arizona Wilder thing, uh, Brian Desbro introduces Arizona Wilder, which confirms all this stuff that Brian Desbro is saying, which if you think about that, here's Brian Desbro bringing a multiple to David Icke, saying, this lady confirms everything that I just got done telling you about the history of the reptilians. And if you listen to her testimony... This, is, I think, I think it's, it's crystal clear in her testimony. When David Ike asks her, "So, where did you learn about these reptilians and where they came from and all this stuff?" or "Tell me about it," or however he said that, and she says, "This, I was made to learn. I was made to learn. I was made to learn." How can I interpret that? But what's interesting about what she was made to learn is how she says what she was made to learn. It is verbatim what Brian Desbrough says in his articles. She repeats Brian Desborough's view of the world, contradicting the very obvious uh, experiences that she's having, you know. Um but anyway, I, I I'm not saying necessarily that Brian Desborough is a handler. He could be, but I don't know if he is. He could be somebody that his own testimony is that he gets all his, his conspiracy information from multiples. He kind of goes and gets multiples and then figures out what they've got to say, and then he's he knows what to say. So that could be true. He could just be, he could be doing that or whatever. But um, the one thing is for sure is that this guy is a mystery man. He doesn't really exist, as far as I can tell, outside of these few articles um he he's supposed to be according to his testimony he never mentions any names and stuff he is a brilliant scientist david ike always refers to him as, as brilliant scientist physicist friend from california um and he's always working on renewable energy he's a he's vice president of so many different companies about you know making renewable energy and now he's conducted in the field in in california working on renewable energy and there's no reference to this guy anywhere in the world except for these articles so i don't know that's extremely highly dubious his websites uh you know the ip and all that stuff is 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 uh to is registered to oh the website design company all his books and the publishing is done in a in a sort of self publishing way that makes it absolutely impossible to trace. They're they're sold on Amazon. There's no there's no link to any human being with this guy. And there is a picture of him that he uh, apparently was in Southern California. I mean, I think he's a real guy. Uh, there's a picture of him with uh, a lady named Maria, who uh, is a comp- conspiracy talk show host and has been for many years out in california um, and there's a picture with him with her and i think it's interesting too if you listen to david's testimony about how he was convinced that the reptilian thing was correct it really all centered around a, a synchronistic events that that you know in retrospect have everything to do with with brian desbro in california his meeting of arizona wilder his trip to california where he meets these you know successive people several people in a row telling him that they've had experience with reptilians and you know considering brian Desbros in california and all this stuff you know let's let's just be you know if if this was some sort of thing to to implant in, in david ike's mind one thing's for sure is that david ike is his conspiracy stuff and his worldview is more Brian Desbro's than it ever was David Icke's. David Icke's view is the most New Agey thing you and, and Theosophical Society thing you've ever heard. Even when I just read there about the Theosophical Society being a bad thing or whatever, that the reason I don't think that David has actually put two and two together that he's talking about what he used to believe back in the day is because that same line that he just read, that we read earlier about the Great White Brotherhood, is one of Brian Desbro's big things. He hates the Great White Brotherhood and thinks it's all a thing and it was created by the Tavistock Wind Institute and all this stuff. So even that very thing is that. Another thing, another thing is David's next book, which is uh, Alice in Wonderland and the World Trade Center Disaster, this big, thick book about 9 11, came out in 2002. One of the first nine eleven books I got it. I was the first guy to the door. Got that book just about, and uh, I read through that um, cover to cover. And I just read an article by David, excuse me, uh, uh, Brian Desbro. (laughs) Should call him Brian Ike and David Desbro. But um, but that article, which is so close, I can't figure out who wrote what. But well, I can tell you this that. Uh, Brian Desborough's article is everything that David Icke used in his book. It's just, it's just a, it's very detailed. So there's, David Icke made Brian Desborough's article into a book. And if you've ever read Alice in Wonderland, and the World Trade Center disaster, go read Brian Desborough's article on 9-11, you'll see exactly what I mean. And it's not the other way around, because you'll listen to Brian Desborough in that article saying, this writer goes and does all the research. This writer went and knocked on the doors and you know found all this stuff. He keeps saying that he's the one that's doing all this stuff. So he's the original source for this very specific stuff about 9-11, some of which was wrong at the time, but uh, nevertheless is, is obviously indic- in, in indicating that David Icke's source for that stuff was Brian Desborough. Nobody's mentioned that. I mean, you do a Google search with those two keywords, uh, the title of that article and the title of David's book, nobody's ever put that together. So, um, again, I have no idea what to do with all this stuff, but so anyway, there's so much, th- this actually has nothing to do with a lot of what I'm going to talk about. A lot of what I'm going to talk about is to, to demonstrate that, that David, uh, Ike, uh, says this, this basic premise that we that we are going to evolve or die. Every end of every one of his books, everything that he's essentially trying to say is this, that there is an evolution coming and that Christians can't and won't be evolved. And so the only way to evolve is to get rid of them. That's it. He's never said those words, but he says it in a lot of different ways. And the thing is, is that you can show every other channeled being that's ever spoken through a human being has in some way or another trying to say that exact same thing. So if you can connect his beings to those beings, then you can connect those that agenda to the New World Order because the the people that are channeling those beings are also putting the gears together for the New World Order. The New World Order agenda, if you look at it from this perspective, is is moving around, moving along quite nicely with no opposition because most of us embrace it and we think that it's, it's our idea. I want to try to make this a, an appeal to the conspiracy world that we need to reevaluate our view of this agenda and look at it in light of what we can prove. And it's bigger, obviously, than genocide. There's, we know that they are Satanists. You know, I, I don't know how to how to do it, but I want to appeal to everybody and say, this is something we can figure out. I, I want to demonstrate to them that the New World Order agenda is exactly the same thing the Bible was warning us about, and that the uh, the evolution that we're being promised and everything like this and to try to at least give them a a show them how this scenario would play out to our absolute destruction. And what, and it's so hard for people to see right now because it's not, it doesn't seem like a possibility that, you know, the whole world could go new age, but, but I think that's what Matthew 24 is describing the world getting seduced into a new age. And, you know, Joe, and Jane Sixpack are all of a sudden going to be really, really concerned about their spiritual evolution and wondering what's holding them back from it. Because and that's, of course, impossible right now. There's nothing so it would require major signs and wonders, reshaping the world's religious paradigm in order to get, you know, Farmer Joe to start wondering where is spiritual evolution and who's holding him back from it. That that's that's an impossibility without major, major signs and wonders. And I think Matthew twenty four describes that so again check out the that uh, study going on there at verse by verse bible teaching and i will sign off remember you can go to my website nowhere to run radio.com and contact me for any reason and i'll be glad to hear from you you. thanks for listening to nowhere to run you can download all of the archives to this show and others i've done for free at nowhere to run radio.com your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time.